Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is uh, the the graveyard where Van Gogh's buried. Really? Yeah. When was that photograph taken? Last summer. Oh. Wow. It's a nice suit. It is a nice suit. Thank you. Very Van Gogh, that suit. No, Billy's the most stylish man. Where, it's not Van Gogh. His name's Gogh, and he's, uh, <laughs> he's not an American. And uh, he would never... I don't... No, I'd never seen Van Gogh in a white suit. He'd, he'd ruin it. Me and Hud were going to get these because some friends of mine make these suits. And we were going to get them. So I said, like, so you've got to get a white suit and you've got to wear it for a year for everything you're doing. You're oh, never wow. allowed to clear, clean it. In the studio as well. That was the... Uh, <sighs> we, haven't, we haven't done it, though. But that was you the should, idea. though. I like that idea. Yeah. Well, that's that would fun. be real art, wouldn't it? Because paint say, is that's verging, that's verging on conceptual art, Billy. Well, conceptual... <laughs> that would be too many concepts for conceptual art because conceptual art is sort of like uh, devoid of concepts. That's why I don't like it. Paint has got more concepts than conceptual art. <laughs> Uh, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Uh, this is Russell Tovey here. And Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you guys? How are you, Rob? Today, we are out of our usual studio context, yes. and we're in the Chatham Historic Dockyards. So I'm actually feeling, like, very historical. And very docky. And very, like, linked <laughs> to the history of shipmaking and boats and... Yeah. It's a beautiful um, day, very spring spring day. We've come out to Kent and it's stunning and we're here with uh, an artist who's very important to you, Rob, because you actually represent this artist. I you? do, and we've been working together since about 2013 and he's actually going to be opening up the new Carl Friedman Gallery in Margate at the end of May with a huge um, three-gallery solo show of new um, paintings, which we can chat about in a minute. And you can actually hear him in the background. He's actually starting a new painting right now. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. Yeah, so we would like to welcome Billy Childish. Childish. Hi, Billy. Billy. <laughs> uh, hello. <laughs> How you or doing? Or as I would say, watcher. Watcher. I was waiting for that watcher, one. Watcher, Billy. What are you watcher, working on at the minute, Billy? Um, I'm making a, I'm, I'm working on a copy of a painting that is in the show, the title piece of the show, which is, uh, called Man in the Mouth of a Cave. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I'm just making another version of it so that we've got, um, another reference or another, another option for how the, uh, for what we show in the exhibition. Do you do that a lot? Do you work on two scales of one image ever? I often work on three or four scales. And str- I'm not painting on Sundays as much as I used to. I paint on Mondays instead. But um, 
I would often work on a very, very large scale, then cut down. So maybe I'd be on a 10-foot and then right the way down to uh, maybe two by one. Feet. Oh, really? And the, often the one that looks like the study will, well, often, always the one that people presume is the study would be the last piece because I always do the small works after. And I don't do... So really the large ones are prepped for the small one often. But I'm there, I do often do those on Sunday at me in my mum's front room, but um, upstairs bedroom studio. But um, I've not been doing that lately. I managed to have a, uh, a serious nervous breakdown about a year and ten days ago, and it sort of affected my ability to go and paint at my mother's. Right. So you need that. You need to actually come to the studio to feel like you're working you're coming to work well i did have a studio there i've always done that i actually the reason i did it at my mum's was because um everything is about work and how you you know how you sneak up on yourself and allow the thing to happen what happens when i was expelled from st martin's in the um in the early 80s i used to paint once a year so i used to um make up boards in the summer and paint about 100, 200 paintings over June, June, July, August. And then I was expelled from St. Martin's, and uh, I was back on the dole again. And I thought, well, how am I going to carry on this? Uh, how am I going to take this forward? And I thought, what I need to do is set aside one day a week when I paint so I can make one painting a week. Or, mm. Well, actually, I used to make three on that day. Right. And that was my practice up until about um, eight years ago of painting on Sundays. And so then, Sunday was your day and you could do like one to three paintings on a Sunday yeah. and the rest of the week you wouldn't be painting? I'd maybe write uh, some poetry or work on a, right. on a novel or um, write some songs or something. And that structure helps you just to maintain that? Well, what it is, it, yeah, everything is... Uh, I'm very disciplined and really able to... Um, apply myself to do things but I'm also very fast and get bored really quickly uh -huh. mm. so you know and I've never been into parties or social things or trying to uh, better my prospects so because I can't do um, networking because it has the total opposite effect because if I went along to uh, these invites I get to galleries yeah. and that and yeah. met a fellow artists yeah shall we call them or fellow musicians say or fellow poets what they do is they decide quite quickly that i'm an arsehole <laughs> because i don't believe in the gang i don't identify myself as being an artist or a musician or a poet i everything for me is sort of like honesty intellect and truth uh -huh. And that doesn't go down well with people who are uh, trying to be something. Because you might, you know, I don't think we're great. I don't think artists are special. I don't think musicians are brilliant. I don't rate this sort of uh, third bit culture that we've got. Uh -huh. So you, you see, even by what I'm saying now, could uh, 
No, I'm, I'm thinking you. No, I'm not. You, uh, not you, but whoever's listening, and you know, they should, and uh, people probably listen and say, "Yeah, he's right. He is an arse, and he, <laughs> he shouldn't. He shouldn't expand his opinions because we're not interested. Because we're well, we are. He's ruining the party. Not at all. There is. A, you're, you're ruining you're, you're, the party. You're bringing the party to talk. Out. I think really you exciting. are the party, Billy. Yeah. yeah but when I was at you're, the, you're like the lone wolf. When I was at St Martin's, the big problem was um, not going to parties or like um, my friends like. Uh, I had one friend at St. Friend at St. Martin's, who's Pete, uh, Pete Doig. Yeah. And he was the only person I got on with. And he liked similar sort of music mm-hmm. and similar sort of painting mm-hmm. to a degree. And he had two mates with him who hung out. And they were sort of like, everyone had money and I didn't. And they would all go. And I didn't get on with any of these other people. Mm-hmm. And they'd sort of go off to Paris with the school trip, which I could never, ever afford to do. And everybody was sort of like... You know, because Pete is a much better politician than I am and a much uh, much nicer guy, you know. So he could he could get on with them and with me. Are you still friends with Peter Doig? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, we don't hang out or anything, but we've remained... Pete's sort of like largely, um, you could say, was integral to my um, overnight success nine years ago. Tell us about that. Well, how was that? Well, because success? me and Pete were mates yeah. and... Um, Shortly before his um, overnight success, yeah. which was a lot earlier, <laughs> but still quite a way ahead yeah. of uh, St. Martin's. Because we're at St. Martin's, we presume that as painters we might get a break at 50. And unfortunately, that was true for me, or fortunately. And um, uh, Pete was um, at Cubit Studio in, uh, or Cubit Galleries and Studios in uh-huh. near King's Cross. Uh-huh. And he... Uh, asked to put an uh, exhibition of mine on, said, Billy, why don't we do a show of your pictures? This is about early 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, which we did. And he in, he had a friend who wanted to be a curator called Matthew Higgs, who had just right. come out of school. And he said, do you mind if Matthew curates with it, with me? And I said, fine. And then I ended up doing another show at Cubit two, two, three years later, um, again with Matthew. And then, um, of course, Pete became quite... And Pete and Matthew are fans of my work Mm -hmm. and used to come to the shows, uh, the music shows and the poetry stuff um, all the time. You know, I think people, probably some of those other art people did as well. I think that... um, What's the fellow who numbers everything? Martin Uh, Creed. Martin, yeah. Yeah, he definitely admired Yeah, Martin used to come along as well. And I did something with him one time. But I knew Pete and Matt and, and they... Most people said to them, well, how can you like this rubbish? And then, About of course, your work? Yeah, <laughs> really? art people. And then, yeah, I, Matthew, Matthew told me that people couldn't understand what on earth they saw in it. And Is that because it was too, like, traditional in their eyes or something, the idea that you were doing paintings at that time? Well, I got into a lot of pa- trouble for being a painter at that time, and I had a lot of arguments with um, Tracy. Who, um, Tracy is an old girlfriend, or Tracy Evans, an old girlfriend of mine, when she... Was studying fashion down after I was expelled from St Martin's. Why she was you expelled from St Martin's? Um, writing um, confessional, indecent poetry, um, non-attendance, talking back, um, really sort of like being a general pain in the ass. I would say I would call that cheeky. Yeah, now. I think <laughs> yeah. you were like that at school, weren't you? Right? Yeah. yeah, I didn't write anything indecent, but yeah. I, well, they I said it was. I, I was publishing this very strong confessional poetry, which they didn't 
because you weren't allowed to use that sort of language those days freely. Well, but if you published that now, would it be as... I still do. <laughs> but is well, it now as shocking it's just, now? Or? No, of course not. It's totally different. You can have, you can have it written on a T-shirt now. Yeah, exactly. When I was, I was put on probation on my foundation course for having a, doing a political post that said, fuck off. And, and doing hardcore pornography, because I was really into Dadaism when I was 17. Right. And that got me into, that caused a lot of trouble, although I always, I painted at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's all going back, I'm reading this all backwards, isn't I? No, well, you started off conceptual then with the Dadaism, that's how Well, you... not really, because I started painting from when I was little, and I painted old paintings from when I was 12. Right. And I carried on painting old paintings. And was, I didn't see um, Dada as conceptual, I saw it as anti-art. Mm. And yes. I'm anti-art as well. Mm. Would you yeah. say you're outsider, the term outsider? No, I wouldn't. No. I know you're trained, but you wouldn't. No. I wasn't trained. Nobody's trained. That is one of the worst mis- misunderstandings. I mean, I've, I've, I was tutoring at, up at, um, for a little while. I was doing tutoring up at Royal College. And like, the kids up there couldn't understand why I was coming down here to go do life drawing in the evenings. I said, they say, you're going to come to the pub? I said, no, go do life drawing in Rochester. And uh, I sort of like, I studied, I was in this dockyard as an apprentice stonemason in 1976 when I was 16. And I couldn't go into art school because I've got no qualifications. I'm a secondary school boy. And um, I just drew for six months when I was here. Mm-hmm. I did about 600 drawings of all the people. And I taught myself to draw really after secondary school, although I was good at art. But... And I wasn't allowed to apply to my local art school for, because I had no qualifications. And I got into St. Martin's in 77 on my drawing. Wow. But I wasn't allowed to go to St. Martin's because the grants were paid by Kent. And they made me go to the art school that wouldn't accept me, wouldn't even give me an interview, which was Medway. Right. And they said, if you can get to St. Martin's, you're getting anywhere without qualifications. They used to have this thing called a genius clause. And if you showed outstanding ability, that you could wiggle through. And I, so then I was put on probation there because I was really into my Dada stuff. And I was a punk, one of the only punk rockers there. And then I got into, and then I was on probation and not allowed to finish the course. So they wouldn't give me a certificate to say finish foundation, which meant I couldn't study painting. I couldn't go on to a further education. Mm. So I took up a, 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 I had this, I just put my suit and hat on mm. and had a little suitcase of um, collages and things I've made because mm-hmm. I was a massive Kurt Schwitz fan. And I went up Charing Cross Road and went into St. Martin's and went into the art department and showed them my collages and they accepted me onto the painting course. And that was in 78. And I was really into, but I was really into painting. So... I went in in September 78 and they were showing, we had to talk about art and what was going on in there. And uh, they had slideshows uh-huh. and they showed some Van Gogh. And I said, this is the only decent stuff you're showing. And the other thing I liked was the political Russian posters they yeah, were showing. Yeah. And that like was... propaganda was. Yeah, and that was really like that. I was really disliked for that because I like but they said the, the Van Gogh stuff's like old lady paint painting and the the other stuff they said this is an example of what art isn't not what art is they, so they like showed that, these yeah. pictures to us in the slideshow and I said this is good and they said this is an example of art this is an example of what art isn't and um, so I left uh, after a quarter of a term walked out 
because they were doing these big abstract expressionist things I didn't sure. like. And then I was on the dole playing in groups and stuff for two years, and Thatcher came in and said, you, um, you've got to get a job. So I applied to St. Martin's, because I couldn't, they, they'd had me before, so I applied to do painting at St. Martin's in 79, it must have been, when mm -hmm. Thatcher was in, and I, went, I was in there in 1980 for round two. I got in again on... Was it the same tutors? Some of the same same tutors and people who did they got, welcome you back or <laughs> some of them were okay. Yeah, they didn't like I wrote this confessional poetry. They um, and my only friend was Pete anyway, and I my father went into prison at that time for drug smuggling and I had no grant because my father um, was meant to give us money, but he left when I was seven anyway, and my father didn't give money. Then he went to prison, and my mother couldn't get any money. So I w my attendance was poor, and um, I was working, make it, running a small press, doing publishing confessional poetry, which was uh, uh, I was getting the stuff made at Medway College of Art on the Xerox machine. Was this Hangman Press? Was yeah, that yours? Yes. yeah, it was Firerod and then Hangman Books, and the work got confiscated by um, the he the principal of Medway. And they wouldn't let me have it back. And my tutor in, uh, uh, um, in London, um, I think he's now head of St. Martin's, or was, Bill Henderson, he said, where is your work? And I said, well, it's been confiscated. And then he tried to get it back. And the head of, that, of Medway College was friends with Simpson, who was head of St. Martin's. Yeah. And... and so then it came back to me, what is what is that student doing publishing indecent poetry in Medway? Why isn't he on this why isn't he in class mm. being a good boy and what's he doing doing this music stuff? And Bill Hendon said, I don't know. Not I said he could. Right. So then I got a they did a thing like um I had to work to rule they did a work to rule on me that I had to attend I had to sign into the course every morning at 10 o'clock and not leave until 8 or 4 or whatever it was. It was like an ASBO. A sign, an sign ASBO. in thing. Yeah. And I had no money. I didn't live in London even. And I painted at home because they also they said, well, where are your painters? I said, they're at home. And they said, why aren't you painting in the college? And I said, because I don't want to get contaminated. Mm. So they just sent me a letter saying you're no longer a student at this course, on this college. Do you think you was ahead of your time? Because I'm sure now you'd, a student like you would be really celebrated and really exciting and the fact that you had the initiative to go off by yourself and exactly, yeah. make all Well, these. I don't know. I'm not sure, but it didn't work out very well that way. And I just wasn't really... Um, I went to a secondary school where tutors were... I wasn't a violent or unpleasant kid... But tutors who weren't didn't get respect could be punched, or and no one listened to a tutor you didn't respect at uh, a teacher at secondary school, and these people were demanding quite a lot of respect for nothing. I mean, one of the conversations I had when I was there was um, this tutor told me that my attitude—I had a very bad attitude. I didn't come in. I complained about everything, and I said, "Well, you've got a bad attitude. You're usually down the pub. You don't come in, and you're complaining." So I'll t and he said I should have the courage to leave. And I said, well, you should have the courage to resign, and I'll leave if you resign. Did he resign? No. Oh. <laughs> Did you, but you left? No, I was oh, thrown you out. Oh, you thrown, thrown out. out. Right, right, right. And then, um, so I made lots of enemies, really. 
And then I um, came back down here and I was um, running the, this is when I transformed the way I painted from once, generally through the summer, which of course didn't fit with St. Martin's idea of how you work. And I st actually started working each week, which I would have much preferred, but I needed to do it for my own discipline. Mm -hmm. And um, I was doing poetry readings, which I was, you know, I had a lot of trouble with poetry readings, being banned from poetry readings and doing reading on TV where I was the one who was excluded and all of this stuff. But then I, um, shortly after that, I met Tracy, who was studying um, fashion at Medway. Mm -hmm. And she'd seen what the paintings around the bedsit I lived at, where other people lived. And she wanted to do painting. So she got um, friendly with me. We were boyfriend, girlfriend for a couple of years. And she became the administrator, uh, 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 what do you call it, administrator for Hangman Books, Salim Books. We used to set, because I couldn't sell books, you know, and can't sell stuff. So Tracy, we send her up to London, and she goes to the bookshops and sell loads of books. No way. And she used to, and then she got onto a foundation course um, in London. I can't remember what it's called. It's a very small college, because she wanted to do painting. It wasn't, is this before Goldsmiths? Or was oh, this? she didn't. No, she Goldsmiths. went to Goldsmiths. She went to Royal College of Art. Yeah. And she oh, was, yeah. she, um, what are they called? John Cash. I think she went to John Cash. Mm. And then she got into Maidstone to do printmaking. And I used to use all the printmaking series, and we used to make home and get the, she'd organise readings over there, and we'd get the, uh, uh, what do you call those guys, the technicians in the summer holidays to help print up books. And I'd go in and use all the woodcutting facilities because I applied to Maidstone and I told I was told there's no I couldn't go to any other college after being expelled from St Martin's. No one would ever accept me. And then, um, and then Tracy, uh, we split up, and Tracy went to the Royal College in uh, mid eighties, eighty five, eighty six, and I carried on painting and drawing and stuff and doing what I do. So you've always had art through all of your life, really. No yeah, my what. father painted. Yeah, my father wanted to be a painter. And my auntie painted. My grandfather was an able seaman from Gillingham. Uh -huh. But for some reason, my, my auntie's sis went to art school. Well, I didn't know these people uh, in the sense that, you know, I'd see them once a year or something. But I know artist's sis did painting. And my father painted when I was little at home. And then when he left, all his painting gear was there. And my brother was really into art, my older brother. And he's sort of like the opposite of me. He went to grammar school, Slade, Royal College, and he was a star student at all of these places. And he had all his qualifications. And I was the, you know, I'm the runt of the litter. <laughs> and um, so I wanted to be, like, when I was a kid, I was listening to Jimi Hendrix when I was seven with my big brother who was listening to this stuff. And I just emulated my big brother and wanted to be a painter. Um, my mother likes art a bit, and we had art books in the house. Oh, right. And I saw, so, um, you know, the Prince of Van Gogh up and a history of art, lots of history of art. My brother was really into it. So I was, I was sort of trying to explain to people that I was looking at sort of like things like Andy Warhol and um, uh, Bacon and these people when I was about 11 or 12 right. and got it out of my system, you see, because I think that's very adolescent sort of work and not my type of thing. But it's not like I haven't seen stuff. Yeah. And I saw the Rothkos when they first hung, because I would go to London on my own and go to art galleries when I was little. Did you? I saw what them was your they, first art gallery you went to? Probably the Tate. And I remember seeing those Rothkos thinking, they're not much good, are they? 
I probably prefer them now than I did then. Yes. I was really into, I had a big Salvador Dali period when I was 12, which is the ideal age to have Salvador Dali period. Yeah, totally. Mm. I think I had a bit of a Dali moment with the soft watches and the Oh, it's fantastic. And, yeah. When you're 12, it's ideal. It's just, when, a so lot of these. It's sci-fi. Yeah, and even, yeah, and even like Francis Bacon, you know, I'd sort of say that would be sort of like maybe... 14, 15. No, so, scared no I agree, actually. And I, I no, but it's, it's what it's about. It's scared. That's the thing with bacon. And kids want to be scared, boys. And what it is, it's a nightmare. There's nothing wrong with bacon's pictures. Some of the early ones are quite good, but it is like life's life shit, then you die, is the painting. Yeah. It's like a picture of an inner nightmare. Yeah. And that is a portion of life. It's not not true. It's just very particular. It's like a microscopic view of an aspect of life touted as a lot of modernism is as being the whole experience and that's why it's not valid because mm. when you look at someone like van gogh the reason it's valid mm. is because it's encompassed all aspects of experience mm -hmm. and when you look at the old masters that's what they do when you look at delacroix they sort of like they encompass the whole universe and if, if work's not universal it's not art really art's got to be universal you look at i mean it doesn't mean that you can't find uh, bacon sexy or, or 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 be into Warhol for it. Like I was into that, those car crash things when I was about yeah, twelve yeah, yeah. or so. We had my brother brought that stuff around, and it's okay. It does something, but um, it's such a limited aspect of who we are. And art isn't meant to be about limits. You know, mm. it's it's meant to show you the universal, and that's uh, that's why painting always wins. And always will win. I mean, Damien Tracy said me painting's dead. That's never gonna. That's over. It's all finished. And I actually said to Trace, "Well, you're gonna have to paint one day again because there's nothing else to say what you like." And, and now she's painting now. It's like and Damien paints as well. Yeah. But I think if you waste twenty years not doing it, it's a bit of a mistake. Yeah. Because I was really ridiculed for being a painter and carrying on. Wow. Well, because that Brit art stuff was cool, wasn't it? Yeah. And I wasn't cool. I'm still not cool. But you know what, Billy? I first met you when I was about 21 and you came into the course I was doing in, in Harrow. Do you remember that music course? And you came in and gave us a, a lecture um, about self-publishing your own music and running well, your own record label and all that stuff. Probably recording. I'd never done any publishing, but yeah, I, know, I get the... You know I what I mean? Like pitch. releasing your own records and stuff. Yeah. And um, I remember being so inspired by you because of that exact reason, that the idea of like no limits and the fact that you were making paintings, you were doing poetry, you were making music and all on your own terms. And to me, it was just so freeing because I'd grown up where it was kind of like, you're either a painter or you're a musician or you're a poet. Do you know what I mean? It's all separate yeah. or you're an actor or you're something else. But to me, you've always kind of encompassed like so many part. different yeah. types of creativity. And I love that about you. And I think... I think that's really rare that you've been able to kind of stick to that and just always have confidence in that. Well, I think that it's not so much that I'm... Well, maybe I am confident, but there's actually no reason why I should be. What it is, is it's like... It's not something I've tried to... The way I work and the way I've done things, there's never been any effort because it's like a reflection of what I'm like. So it's always it's been easy for me because it's like there hasn't been a choice. I mean, the BBC came and tried to do something with me in the uh, early 80s and they wanted to use my poetry and my paintings in a programme. Right. Um, and they were sort of like, and the director was trying to buy paintings off me. And then they realised that they couldn't use the poetry because it was too explicit. 
And then they had, they wanted something really street, they thought, but they didn't want anything like I was doing. So then they went for this more sort of hip hop type thing with some cool kid. And then they said, well, we still want to buy your painting. We want to use your pictures and have um, this poetry over them. I said, well, want away because you're not having it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not selling the paintings and you're not, I'm not doing that. But that wasn't just, um, that wasn't a stance. That's what I'm like. It's not an act. Yeah, well, it's, it, yeah, so well, it's not even not an act. It's like, it's like I'm not trying to be like what I'm like. And that's what people don't, often don't get because it's not, uh, there's no choice. So for me, it's easy. For other people, it would be a conundrum. Mm. I mean, when I, I was asked to do Celebrity Big Brother at some point. Were you? Yeah. Oh, my oh. gosh. And we were playing, and I'd never seen it, not even a telly, and we were playing up in town. And I said, my friend showed me something. I said, it's not very good, is it? And they were offering me this money to do it. And I said, well, at the show, I'll tell the audience and um, see, we'll take, I'll take a vote on it, whether I do it or not. And someone said, well, that's dangerous, isn't it? And I said, not really, because I'm the one who counts the votes. <laughs> and what was the, what happened? Well, obviously, he what? didn't do it. Oh, right. No, I know, but what, 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 how many it. people did vote in the room? Or what did people, I, what people I, saw, I saw it as a majority against. Yeah, you not doing it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, did they offer you good money? What sort of money? Did no, they offered. They like well, I had no money at all at that time. They offered me. They came to me of fifteen thousand. They offered me, and then they said, um, when I said I wouldn't do it, they said, well, what would you need to do it? What do you want? Because yeah. they didn't go for an agent because they don't have agents or people. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. And they said, well, what would you do? What What do you want to do it? And I said, I want you to understand that the people who won't do what you want for money is Got what it. I want you to understand. Mm -hmm. I said, and if you want to make a program about something I do then I'm happy to do it. Yeah. But I can't see this programme really is like that. No. I mean, you would have been fascinating in there, but it's the right choice. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So, Billy, talking about not having agents and things like that, you, in the last few years, have actually started working with a few different galleries. And what I've always loved yeah. um, about your choice of how you've decided to work with the you know, art world as such is that you've kind of ended up working with people that have actually been genuine supporters of yours for a long time, like uh, Tim Neuger and Burkhard Rimschneider in Berlin. Yeah. Uh, Neuger Rimschneider. Can you tell me a bit about how you met them and how that all began? Well, the thing with Tim was... Uh, well, what, what happened with... When Matt Higgs... Matt Higgs ended up 
being a curator in New York. Yeah, White, yeah. white Columns. White Columns. And there was another kid whose first show was done with me. Is um, Martin... Um, Is he a painter? No, he's a curator of the art centre in Camden. Oh, what's his name? Oh, yeah. Just, Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Were just with him. Yeah. Yeah, um, well, Martin was the... Martin worked... Was uh, down here when he studied... And he studied under Higgs, I think. Oh, right. Martin Clark. Martin Clark, yeah. yeah. He's and just Martin, started running the last six months. He's been running right. there. Well, Martin then asked... Martin's another person who came to me and asked me to do his first show with mm, wow. when he was a kid. And then, so these people moved in. These are the only people I know. I know Tracy, yeah. Pete, yeah. Martin Clark, Matthew. Matthew Hicks. I think that covers it. And Tim Neuger, because Tim Neuger came over and he's about 22 with his mate to do an interview with me for an art fanzine. And, um, and they put me in a little exhibition when he was working for, <coughs> uh, working for a gallery in Cologne when I was with some cool American kids. Mark, Mark Ke- Ke- Kelly, someone Kelly, Matthew, Mark. Math, not Matthew Kelly. Oh, Matthew Marks? No, Matthew, no. Ke- is there Matthew someone? Matthew Kelly's an uh, entertainer. Oh, who is this other guy? Someone Kelly. Who's that? Sean Kelly. Oh, no. Sean Kelly? No. no, American guy. Gene Kelly? No, not Gene <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I did this thing with him, and like, of course, like, then, what happened was, is, in 90, the year Scout was born, so it's, um, 19, when's Scout born? 2009. So in 2009, that's my daughter, um, Matt finally said, right, I'll get you an exhibition at White Columns. I'll come over and have a look at the work. Amazing. And I said, oh, brilliant, all right. So he turned up, and he turned up to look at the stuff, and he said, I was just speaking to a friend at the ICA, and they asked what I was doing here, and I told them, and they said, will you do a show at the ICA as well? Because the ICA was going tits up, and a really good guy was leaving uh-huh. they were going they were, everything was in transit and this guy will Billy do a show for us as well so in, they said right you've got a co-current show opening in four months one in White Columns and one in ICA solo shows and um, that's obviously for the that's why Pete is important because I know Matt you see got it and um, and we did a, we so then I suddenly had these two exhibitions running and the ICA was, I think it was, you know, he got slated basically by that Guardian guy. What's his name? Adrian Searle. No, Adrian. I, oh. met, I met Adrian Searle. He's a very silly man. Jonathan Jones. Jonathan Jones. Yeah, another silly man. Um, <laughs> he is very silly because the things he wrote were very silly and unintelligent. Um, and he... Uh, so no one was, I mean, it was the best attended show they'd had. Well, I was going to say, because no, I, I went to that show and yeah, it's packed. And I remember the curator I, at the time, Mark Sladen, saying Mark's it was... brilliant, yeah. Because Mark really believed most, in you. Yeah, and that's right. Mark yeah. was great. And they, they, it was their most successful show they'd run as far as uh, people walk, coming across the doorstep. Yeah, yeah. It was so exciting, though, to actually yeah. see you in a big museum. Like, yeah. I remember the excitement and of the, it. And then, uh, yeah, it's good fun. I enjoyed it. And then um, and Mark's brilliant. And... Uh, but nobody, there's no critical response to it. The same, actually. You know, I was on the front cover of Artscribe in 1992. Were you? Yeah, by some German person for doing shows in Germany. And they put, I got a sort of like model front cover with my, my mug on it of wow. Artscribe, oh. which went nowhere <laughs> as well, apparently. So I've always been about, 
But then, um, uh, so this was the overnight success you were talking yes, about in two thousand and nine, right? Something like that, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, so then, nobody was interested. I didn't get approached by anybody, which didn't. I don't know how you do that thing. I'm not that bothered. But then, Matthew met Tim Neuger at the airport, right. whose plane had been cancelled. He said, why don't you go along and look at Billy's exhibition? And Tim came along and said, do you want a show with Neugrim Schneider? And I said, yeah, sure. I don't Where know is that Neugrim. gallery based? Berlin. They're in Berlin. Right. And, he, and, then, and then we heard nothing from him for six months. We right. thought, oh, well, he must have gone off the idea. And then two weeks, bef- uh, he gave us about two weeks, he said, we're coming to collect paintings. We're doing solo representation at Art Basel. And I don't know what Art Basel is because I've never been to an art fair before in my life. Uh, this is the funny thing. When I said I went to art galleries, I stopped doing that when I was about 12. Why? I don't like them. There's too many people and things. I'd go in them if they're empty. Yeah. And I'd never been to art. You know, I don't go along and look at painting. I will go along to look at one thing or two things. Of course. I've, I've only recently gone to exhibitions again, when I say exhibitions, Delacroix and that, because my son, to help my son, Learn. Learn stuff. Yeah, nice. So I've gone with Huddy. Do you find them easier now to go to? Or? Yeah, so much. I didn't used to be able to go into supermarkets. Wow. But I don't like noise and stuff, which yeah. is awkward being a musician. Of course. And then, uh, <laughs> and, then, and I don't, you know, I'm not into any of that. But anyway, so then I had this sudden, and I had to sell that show at Art Basel. And then an uh, American gallery asked to work with me. And then Carl... Tracy, I'd, I'd known Carl because she went out with Tracy mm-hmm. and they were, Carl was going to do an exhibition with me at um, South London Gallery mm-hmm. when Tracy had told him about me because Tracy became friends with Carl when she used to hang around with those um, Sarah Lucas and that lot, I think. No, it's true, when they were and doing it, the shop, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and then, and Carl said, oh, this is just amazing, we should do an exhibition with him. But it didn't uh, work out. Well, not then, but then it did later yeah. come then, back, which I like, though, that idea, because yeah, even Tim Neuger went to all your gigs, didn't he, when he was younger? I no, think he, when went, he, was like, he went to some, he must have. Yeah. But what happened was, is, so that's how I knew Carl, because I knew got on with Carl all right in the mid-90s, because Tracy used to try and get me to go to these, um, even though we weren't boyfriend-girlfriend, she used to try to get me to go to these exhibitions, and I went to the one at South London show. That, I think I went to one there, and I went to one of Sarah's, because I liked Sarah. Mm. And they're the two shows I went to, and they used to try and get me to go to parties or hang out with those people because I couldn't do that. And I'm not. Right. (laughs) So, because I was, you know, I thought it was, I thought that was really poor Dada, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, being a a Dada snob. Yeah. Being a man who has a Kurt Schwitter's tattoo tattoo on his left buttock. What does it look like? Probably totally unreadable and spotty. <laughs> it was done when I was 17. It's I don't believe in ideal I eat the apple with the peel. Kurt Schwitter's poem. And we made a film about Kurt Schwitter's when I was about 19 as well, like 16 mil with a friend of mine uh, called The Man With Wheels. And I used to write sort of Dardarist poetry because uh, before I did confessional work in poetry, I used to be really into Edward Lear and, um, and nonsense poetry. Right. That's how I got into it. Uh-huh. And then it was only Pete Doig gave me a copy of uh, a Berkowski book when I was at St. Martin's. Um, and I thought, great, so you can write about all the shit that's happened to you. And I, that sent me off Do you on still that. write poetry now? 
Yeah, I've yeah. got a collection, got a coming, out. Got a collection coming out for the exhibition. And yeah. is, is this, do you still do this printing yourself for this, or is this... No, we, this one, well, it'll be published by, I think I'd do it as Hangman Books, this one. But really, a lot of my publishing went to working with Steve at L13, and we really, really, Hangman Books turned in, you know, my stylistic and what I did turned into L13 books. What's L13? It's just a different L13 is based in um, kind of Farringdon in London. All it is 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 a mate of mine, a fellow who used to be into the music, and he came to me because his pal was selling my books Rare book as rare books, quite expensive rare books. And Steve was running this into rare books. He's someone who did paint when he was a kid uh-huh. and got talked out of it. And then he did rare books. And then he decided he was working with Jamie Reed and uh, and Jimmy Corti yeah. right. and with me and put an exhibition on of my stuff. And I convinced Steve to become a painter again and not do all of this. Which he's done pol- really well, hasn't political he? Political crap. He's and then, uh, well, though we still do some political crap for fun, you know, some anti-Brexit stuff. Um, but Steve, then Steve, I worked with Stephen as my mate. And then when Neugisch from Schneider said, will you come with us? I said, as long as my mate can come with me, because I don't, you know, this is what he was getting to is I stay friend. I'm friendly with people. Got it. Yeah. I'm not under, I'm not under contract with anyone. Neugisch from Schneider, I give them complete call over what I do and how I do it. Mm-hmm. Because they uh, Tim said, you will work with this guy when no one else would. Yeah, exactly. So this poetry about wheels, how, how does that how does that go? What are the wheels? The man with wheels. Yes, well, who's the man the, with wheels? Kurt Schwitters. There is a man with wheels, it said, who has the use of wheels instead of legs. But he can, if he chooses, put his hands in his shoes and wanderest around on his head. It's sort of based on a little, um, some of Schwitters' little uh, graphic drawings and things where you've got men walking upside down with wheels here and there. And I sort of like thought, I like, I like that. Kirchwitz's got a good sense of humour. You know, he was disliked by the other Dardais for being too bourgeois, which I thought was great, and not being political enough. So, you know, I felt a big affinity with Kurt. Do you, um, do you remember most of your poetry? No, that's one of the only ones I do. I can remember some of the nursery rhyme ones. Go on then, give us I can't do rhyme. the confessional stuff because God knows what it's about. As, let me see if I can do one of my favourite ones. From when I was 17, it says, Sing, shed, sing. Sing, shed, sing. Oh, that's all I can remember. Sing, shed, sing. The tortoise ruined their boxes. Sing, shed, sing. The holes are filled with foxes. Sing, shed, sing. The autumn is near, the autumn is here. Sing, shed, sing. The flies have flown, the thing to sing. Sing, shed, sing. Something like that. Wow. I like that. I would use that as a, a warm up for doing a play. Oh really? That's like, what, like seashell, to get your vocal She sells seashells on the seashore. It's slightly like sing, sing shed, sing. Yeah. So do you do that before you go on stage? Yeah, I always do it like. <laughs> she stood upon this balustrade balcony. Well, I'm going to get could be mimicking him, mimicking, and then I'm welcoming him in. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to get you a book of Billy's poetry then, yeah, and then you please. can read it out. Yeah, but you haven't got. I haven't got the. Uh, I don't think as much of the Dardaris stuff about. And do you, mm. do you remember the stuff then that was shocking and got you expelled and No, not in really. I, I'm not really that... Actually, I'm not even interested in any of it, but not really, no. I mean, it's... Uh, I've got terrible memory because I, I play music and stuff and I can never remember lyrics of things. It's just some of those... You know, I probably want to be one of these people in an old people's home and all I can re- remember of things from when I was five <laughs> or something. <laughs> I hope not. No, I won't be one of those. 
So in the background right now, Billy's actually drawing with charcoal onto a canvas and um, it's an image of himself inside a cave. And the exhibition we're going to do in Margate is called Man in the Mouth of a Cave, which again is from Billy's poetry, no? Or is that just a title of a work? No, I think that's the title of the work. Yeah, it's, um, I don't think it's poetry, that one. Oh, okay. I might have done it as a poem since, I don't know. And what is, what is success to you? Well, we were asked when I was when I was, we made our, our an LP ourselves when we were punk rockers, which we recorded we recorded down here after I was um, walked out of St Martin's the first time before I was expelled, and people said to us about success, and we said, well, and even at that age, must have been eighteen, nineteen, they said, what you you're already successful doing what we want, the way we want to do it. I was brought, we, I fell for the punk rock line in 77, when they said, you do it yourself, and you don't have the other people doing it, and it's principle. And I thought, well, that sounds great. And that's what I've done. Right. But that's not because, again, don't misunderstand me. It's not because I'm sort of like, uh, it's only because that's what I'm like. I'm not... Um, what I'm trying to get on this picture is get this really ridiculous lean in, as exaggerated as yeah, I can. Yeah, because as we've been stood here, you've redrawn this guy, probably about, this your fifth attempt? It's not an attempt. <laughs> <laughs> fifth well, version. I, I wouldn't call it an attempt. What it is, is also because I'm distracted talking, but even when I'm not. Because what the thing that's going to be the problem with how I'm working and talk, turning around to talk to you guys, not drawing, is that it will gradually get really realistic. And this drawing doesn't need to be. Uh So what you've got to do is you're looking for the essence of something. Because you see this version here, how badly done that is. It's got to look as bad as that. And this is already looking better. Why would you say that's badly done? (laughs) But is that so there's there's more, you you can kind of interpret it in a different way? No, but this thing here isn't, I mean, this is a million times better than this, which is going to be a good bit of drawing. Right, and but this so what's finished? Yeah, so yeah. this has somehow, because I'm talking to you guys, it's not got the automatic wrongness. Right, right, right. And this, so what I'm going to have to do is try and backtrack and get the automatic wrongness in this. So wrongness but, for you is right? No, in this instance. Well, because in this, you see, this is the inner energy of that figure, whereas this is going to be the exterior energy of it, done by someone who's reasonably good graphic eye. Uh-huh. And nor, I don't insert myself in my pictures very much. But here, I will, I will have been sort of like just correcting continually because I'm talking to you guys. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll have to sort of strip back and try and... Because the picture should dictate what it looks like, not you. The picture should dictate what it looks like, it's a, not you. So you. you do acting, don't you? Yes. Well, you know what I'm talking about there. Because yeah, nothing's different. The character dictates what you act like, not you dictate to the character. Because yeah, otherwise, you've, yeah. got your, you've got your yourself in there too much. Yeah, exactly. And that's what, and these things, this is how creativity works. And that's what this is. That's when you do it as an ego practice, which art, painting, and, and a lot of modern art is done as an ego embellishment. Uh, that's why it's wank. And that's why a load of actors aren't any good. That's why when you see, uh, if you watch Colonel Blimp, and you see uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp by um, Powell and Pressburger, 
and you see the people acting in that mm. and they're they're parodying and working at doing victorians or you look at david lean doing uh doing um great expectations is it great expectations he does and you see how they can embody a victorian person back 50 60 years ago 70 80 years ago they can embody a victorian person they uh the actors don't look like dummies wearing Got fucking uniforms. And if you look at an act, a period piece done now, and the, the idea now is, oh, these people are the same as us, essentially, aren't they? And yes, they're essentially the same as you, and they're nothing like you. They've got no similar beliefs at all. These people think that we are the best, you know, if they're doing British Victorians, they don't even think they're the best. They know they are. Totally different attitude. And I haven't got this weird liberal skew on something. So how can you begin to embody someone when you can't even... Well, how can you act someone when you can't embody their their, their, their attitude of how they're going into the world? Well, my, my but, way of breaking that down is that there's two types of actors. There's instinctive actors and then there's technical actors. And I guess what you're saying about the art is that with your art, you're instinctive and the work you're making is very instinctive. It comes from you and you're using yourself, but it's it's bigger than you. Whereas if you were technical, yeah, then that's maybe the ego. Yeah, but it's not coming from myself, you see, because it's, it's coming from itself. Or, you know, it's like the more you insert yourself into anything, if I'm baking you a cake and mm. I insert my, my need for that cake into that cake, oh, well, everyone uses currants. Wouldn't it be interesting if we used something that no one ever uses before, you know? Because then they'll say, oh, that's a great cake, Billy invented that. And then you, you eat the cake, you go, what the fuck is this cake? And I say, yeah, but it's original. Mm -hmm. And it's by me. Whereas if I just sort of like follow what the cake, taste the cake and follow what the cake requires, then it's about the cake. Got it. It's the same as making a painting. Everything has to follow its, the requirement. And the less of you there is in it, the more people think there is of you in it. Did you get frustrated sometimes because you feel like you are too much in the work? No, because I don't care. I just sort of like realise that... Because I, I don't make paintings I like, I make paintings. Right. So what, what would a painting be like if you was to make a painting you liked? It does happen. Yeah. But that's not... I can't, I can't force it. I mean, some of them I like some of the time. And bits of them I like. You know, I like that character now. I quite like that painting. Mm. But I can't make paintings like that. You know, I can't reel those off. So, Billy, there's a painting over there on the other side of the studio of Julie swimming through water. And there's a big theme of, like, water in our new exhibition that's coming up. And it felt like quite a new departure for me, even though you've had kind of um, boats before and that kind of water. I'd never seen people actually swimming or being in waterfalls and things like that. How has that come about? That was purely because Huddy, I think it was Huddy, my son, went with his family, his other family, yeah. to Montenegro. Mm. And Chris, his um, stepdad or whatever he is, wherever Chris is, took some photos of him in the water. And I sort of like saw that and I thought, that's good, I'll, make a night, I'll, I'll paint that. And you often start from photographs? Yeah, I like photos a lot. Because I've got no imagination. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> well, I've got a very poor imagination. My scout, I'm doing stuff with scout. She's my daughter of nine. She's doing, she likes cartoons. 
she says, how do you draw these feet on this thing? I know roughly how to do stuff. I said, look at Walt Disney and see how they does Mickey Mouse feet. Don't, I said, you don't need to invent anything here. All you've got to do is like, your character, Mickey Mouse's feet, just see how people do it, what they do. Because yeah. mm. a lot of people are trying to, again, insert themselves, you know. There's no, there's, originality is totally overrated. All you've got is authenticity, authentic response. That is what will make people think is something's original. Because it's an authentic response. Van Gogh is not original. It's an authentic response. Van Gogh has just picked up loads of stuff off of loads of people and bunged it all together as an authentic response. It's not original in the slightest. I mean, it's sort of like copying Delacroix, Gauguin. Um, anyone he's with is copying Rembrandt if he's looking at Rembrandt's. And it's just because it goes through his bent lens and it comes out and it all accumulates. You know, it's tasted all the stuff and sort of like thought, well, those go together, all right? So all the people you've named, they're all your influences, right? Who did I name? Van Gogh. Gogh. Gogh, sorry. Delacroix. <laughs> Delacroix. No, not don't have their interests. They're people I admire. They're, I, Van Gogh, I just... I, my mum read me Lust for Life, a biography of him when I was a little boy, and I sort of like decided I'd like to be a painter. I thought, that seems good, because I like painting... And it wasn't maths. And on that theme of uh, things that have inspired you, we ask every guest on the podcast um, if you could do an art heist or take a touchstone artwork out of a museum and take it home, what painting would you choose or artwork would you choose? I'm not sure, really. I'm not. That's something where you could say it's good influence on like Van Gogh because he had the prints, didn't he? Prints up on the wall. I'd probably like a nice little Kurt Schwitters. Yeah. Just a nice little small coach Schwitters. Um, anything else? Do you live with art in your house? Got some of my paintings up. We used to have lots up, but we don't much have many up anymore. Huddy gave me a painting that I've got to put up in the bedroom. I, you know, I don't listen to music and I don't really get involved in art too much. And the other question we ask is, um, it's, a, it's a hard one, but what is your favourite colour? Oh, that's a good one. That, that's like real Alan Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's that really good one on the radio when he was interviewing this racing car driver and he said, what, what's your favourite colour car? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really good. My favourite, I like, um, hanging around with kids is good, you see. Like, so, like, my children, like, they would sort of... Um, when I was little, my favourite colour was red, and my brother's favourite colour was green, which I thought was insane. But I do really like green now. But if you, um, if I t say to my daughter, I love you more than anyone, anything than anyone else in the world, she would accept that. And if she said, well, what about Huddy? I said, well, I love him more than anything else in the world. And she would accept that, because I understand it's the same thing. So, and I've talked to the children about colours before, and they say they like all the colours. Mm. All right, right. But grey is a very, very, very underrated colour. I like grey. Grey is one of the best colours going because grey loves every other colour. Mm. Right. I, I think yellow looks amazing with grey. You like orange. I realised that recently. There's well, nothing yeah, that I've doesn't work. I've been painting work. my new place in Margate grey, though. But and nothing else. Well, it's really overused now, and people use horrible greys, and they don't use any of the... Um, you see you've got pink, grey, blue, grey, all of these lovely types of greys. Mm. And people do everything like it, but grey complements everything. Mm. 
Whereas a lot of people now think, hey, wouldn't it be cool we could be like the pesky bleeders off of um, television? That awful program they did. I don't know what that is. What's the pesky bleeders? Pe- pesky, pesky, bli- uh, pe- peaky, oh, peaky blinders. blinders. <laughs> <laughs> pesky bleeders. I'm like, what? Peaky blinders. Yeah, yeah. yeah the okay, pesky cool. bleeders. You know, <laughs> it's sort of like parallel dark world of fantasized nonsense uh-huh. where everything's grey and blowing up. Uh-huh. I don't know. People are being punched. I like grey. I've got I've got parts of my house coloured in Battleship Grey, which Battleship I saw at Donald Judd's house in New York on Spring Street. He had the he painted all the doors and window frames in that. So I went well, Battleship Grey is a very underrated colour. I agree. Yeah, I'd imagine you'd like Battleship Grey. I love Battleship. Yeah. Grey. And actually, Billy, like being surrounded by your paintings right now in in the studio, there's so much colour in your paintings. Like in the last few years. Why do you think you started using colour so much more in the paintings? Because I swear when you made your earlier work, it was more like uh, yeah, but black you, on... Uh, yeah, but you're, you're, the thing is that everything's... You can only prove anything by capturing time. Like, if, you want, if, Prince, if Prince Charles wants to prove the English language is going downhill, he has to be quite specific in his time frames. Mm of when it was perfect and when it was good and when it was... So it wasn't good before then and it's not good after this point. Right. And then you can prove something. So, like, when I was... Um, my biggest influence when I was... Um, uh, let me see, 14, would have been Fauvism. I was really into fo- the Fauvism. explain what that is? Fauvism. That's, that's uh, Matisse and... Um, uh, Barnard? No, Bonnard's post, no earlier, Bonnard's Bonnard's uh, post-impressionism. There's Velmanik, Matisse is the most famous fauvist, and it's all colour, like it's, that means to the wild beasts, they were called. So Monet, would Monet have been part of that? No, he's he's impressionist. Okay. No, this is real colour, crazy stuff, looks like German expressionism, proper garish Colours that don't fit together. It's the beginning of people losing... Um, uh, Rules. Losing, losing the... Uh, losing the... Uh, putting colours together that push and vibe for... Attention. No. Don't keep trying to get what's filling in. Sorry. I tell you, I had a brilliant thing. This bloke... Um, there's this guy used to... Because as well as those art people used to come to see our shows, music shows, lots of comedians... And Hughes is someone, what's Sean? Sean Hughes used to come a lot. And he came in here and made a documentary of me before he died. And he's trying to make documentaries. And he did all this filming around. He went to interview my brother in France as well. He tried to find my father. And Sean um, would never, ever, so he's got, they got the camera going. He's asking me a question. He never, ever let me answer what he'd said. He always guessed what I was going to answer, and you're never, ever right. As lots of people try and guess what I'm going to say at the end of a sentence, and they're never, ever right. So anyway, <laughs> fauvism. Brack. And so that Brack. was very... Duran. Duran is a fauvist. There we go. Yeah, we got George one. Brack. Brack. No, but he's a, he might have done some... A lot of these guys messed around. Schwitter's probably tried some fauvism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, what happens is, is they're not leaders, isn't it? Brack's more mates with um, Picasso. And actually, Brack had to hide all his stuff from Picasso because Picasso would go around to the, see him. And, 
Uh, so in the end, Brock learned to cover up whatever he's painting because Picasso just kind of ripped it off. <laughs> well, Brock's really good. I like George. And uh, and that's the then that reminded me. I was trying to tell you about um, being self-taught or not, because I, you know, I didn't go. To, d you ask Pete Doig if you do one with him. Ask him what he learned in art school if they taught him a single fucking thing, and he'll tell you nothing. Because I never noticed anyone teaching me anything other than trying to make me not do what I wanted to do. Right. And there was zero, virtually zero life drawing at St. Martin's in 77, or 78 when I was there, yeah. And there was zero life drawing at Medway College when I did my foundation. I did, all the life drawing did, I did on my own anyway, which you could say self-taught, but in music, you've got this situation like, now people go to school to learn rock music, don't you? And yeah. imagine sort of something like, I mean, there's never been an artist who isn't self-taught really. Mm. And Pete Townsend, they don't sort of say, well, he's not bad for someone who taught himself to play guitar. Obviously, Pete's stuff is another issue. I mean, Pete Doig, uh, Pete, get me Pete's mixed up. Pete Townsend um, did some very important work up until 67 or so. And uh, I'm sure he'd be pleased to hear that. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, no one sort of says, oh, well, he's self-taught. You know? No. And, but they will do soon, like musicians. They say, oh, this person's a self-taught musician because I haven't gone to school to be taught how to do it. I think I've always thought the best advice for like being creative is just to keep doing it and just sort of stay on your, whatever your path is, just, just don't give up sort of thing. Don't give up. Don't give up. Maybe that's a nice moment no, to uh, nice, tie up the no, interview. Well, oh, well, oh, well, Here we great, go, see, I'm finishing his sentences. On the, on the, yeah, on the great, <laughs> on the great <laughs> words. You were like, give up. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else so, give up. So Edgeworth was talking to me. I make these paintings of Edgeworth over there, these yeah. totally other style paintings. We do these together. And uh, which is the, where the painting really totally leads. And I don't have to use any abilities that are on show, which I used to paint like for a big long period with a lot of garish colours as well um, in the 90s. Mm. When people said, because I didn't used to bother showing that I could draw. I really. That, that annoys people as well. You can, it's so so easy to annoy people. <laughs> and uh, Edgeworth was saying to me that he l puts likes on things and likes all these sort of pieces of work that other people do that uh, aren't any good. And he doesn't particularly like anyone. Anyway. So well, why do you do it? He said, well, at least they're getting up in the morning and doing something. Mm. I said, it'd be better if they didn't and you're encouraging them. <laughs> <laughs> Because the world now is full of people who want to be artists, poets, and musicians, right, and right. everything. Whereas, they, you know, people used to think that was for sort of like misfits. And you say, I'm one of these misfits still. I'm actually one of the original proper misfits who probably would be an artist in any period because there's nothing else sensible I can do. Right. Whereas, and then we just got all of these people involved in the art world who would have nothing to do with art 50 years ago and in the music world. You know, because that would be, you know, they're sensible jobs. But there's no jobs out there, so they just can come and contaminate creativity <laughs> with, their, with their sort of, like, banker-like um, attitudes. I, we, we were playing at Reading. Someone got us to play Reading with the Buff Midways, one of my groups, and I'd never been to that type of thing. We went there, and there's this group on, I, must be, I think they're called Coldplay, and there's this guy there, and I said, that bloke... The nearest he'd have anything to do with music 
50 years ago would be in management. You know, or, you know, they'd be better off, a lot of these people would be better off being estate agents or something. <laughs> when we interview well, Chris Martin about we'll, his art collection. We'll, exactly, we'll, we'll pass that on. Um, thank you so much, Billy. Everyone listening, you can um, visit at Talk Art on Instagram and see images of artworks we've spoken about. Billy's show in Margate at Carl Friedman Gallery is opening um, on the 25th of May and will be on all summer. Um, thank you for listening. Thanks. Thank you, Billy. Thanks, Billy. Sorry. Good to see you. <laughs> Love you, Billy. I am such an ass. <laughs> Thank fun. you Thanks, so much. Billy. Sorry. <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. 